Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. When you charge a finder's fee, you have to be careful about how you charge it. And remember, we don't ever want to tie the compensation to the amount of money raised. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. Today, we are going to answer a burning question that I get so frequently because of the business that I'm in and because of, well, the market and how much opportunity there is. And here's the question, best ever listeners. And we have an expert to walk us through the process of how to answer this question correctly. Here's a scenario, and then we'll come up with the question. The scenario is, 
I know people who have money. I also know people who do syndications. How can I raise money for the syndicator and get compensated for it? So basically, we're looking for creative ways to get paid to raise money without being a broker-dealer. With us today to walk through the entire process, Amy Wan. How you doing, Amy? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I am doing well, and I am smiling ear to ear because I get this question so frequently from best ever listeners and from people on Bigger Pockets and everywhere else. I'm Really looking forward to diving in a little bit about your background for the best ever listeners. Before we dive in, Amy is the founder and CEO of Bootstrap Legal. She's also a former partner at crowdfundinglawyers.com. She knows crowdfunding law. She, in 2014, was named one of the top 10 women to watch in the legal tech field by the American Bar Association Journal. She's based in Los Angeles, California. Say hi to her at her website, bootstraplegal.com. So that being said, Amy, take it away, my friend. How do we approach this topic? Sure. So there's definitely a lot of people out there who are able to get compensated somehow for helping other people raise money. But there's a number of different ways to do it. There's also a number of different things you have to look out for. So before I launch into explaining this entire field of law, I just want to put out there, I'm an attorney, so I have to put out a legal disclaimer (laughs) that none of this is legal advice. It's all educational, and I'm not necessarily recommending any courses of action. Whatever you do, you should always go and talk to your attorney who's helping you out and representing you before you launch into this because they're going to be able to look at the specifics of what you're trying to do. So broker-dealers. Broker-dealers are people who have a license, and they make a lot of money to sell the securities of other people. Usually the way they do this is they'll take a commission, like I'll take 7% commission for whatever capital I bring in. That's also how a lot of investment banks get paid. But the truth is, being a broker-dealer is really difficult, especially if you're not really in the business of doing this every single day and you don't want to deal with all of the compliance. So now that we've talked about what a broker-dealer is, I know that a lot of your listeners don't want to be broker-dealers. They just happen to be people who might have a really good network of investors or people who have a lot of money. So let's talk first just a little bit about what it means to be a broker dealer, just so people know whether or not they have to be one. There's basically about four things that the regulators look at when they are determining whether someone is engaging in unlicensed broker-dealer activity. So those four things, and this first thing is actually the most important, is are they taking transaction-based compensation? Transaction-based compensation is basically payment based on the transactional amount, how much money they're bringing to the table. If you're not bringing transaction-based compensation, it's not to say you're not a broker-dealer, but it makes it a lot less likely. Commission, straight-up commission, that's definitely transaction-based compensation. The second thing 
is whether or not the person who's helping the other person raise money, are they soliciting or going out and trying to find potential investors? The third thing is, is that person providing advice or engaging in negotiations? Like, are they helping to structure this deal in any way? That's also a very important one. And then the last one that the regulators look at is, do they have previous security sales experience or history of disciplinary action? So was this person formerly a broker-dealer, or are they regularly involved in the sale of securities? Because if they are, they're probably a broker-dealer. If this is like a one-off thing, it makes it less likely. So these are the four questions that are asked to determine if someone is engaged in unlicensed broker-dealer activity, correct? Yeah. And the first question is, are you taking a transaction-based compensation? Two is, are you soliciting what? What was that? It's whether or not you're soliciting potential investors. Okay. Which you must have to do if you're talking to people, right? Ah, there are ways to do it, Joe. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So are you soliciting potential investors? The third is, are you helping structure the deal so for, let's just use a hypothetical example, but something that people might come across, and that's an apartment community deal. So that would be, are they helping structure, is that the transaction of the deal itself with the seller, or is that the structure of the compensation and the waterfall stuff with investors? It's the latter. So whenever you're buying or selling property, that's not necessarily security and when we're talking about broker-dealers, we're only talking about selling securities. So that's when you're going out and trying to find passive investors and offering them a return on investment. So we're not talking about buying or selling property. We're talking about basically fundraising. That's what all yep. of this is. Okay. And then the fourth is, do they have previous securities experience? So are they previously a broker-dealer? Were they previously or did they get in trouble previously with this process? Okay, got it. Cool. So now that we have the fundamentals down, I think what your listeners are really interested in is how do we get some form of payment while helping people bring investors or raise capital without getting in trouble and without having to become a broker dealer or some sort of other licensed person who can do this. Do you know what it takes to become a broker dealer? what the process is and how much studying or what tests you have to take? Sure. So you have to take some of the series exams. It kind of depends on what exactly you want to be doing. A lot of people will take the series 7, they'll take the series 63. Once you pass the test, you've got to hang your license at a broker-dealer shop. Suffice it to say that basically over the last couple years, it's become a lot, lot harder a, for broker-dealers to make money, and B, for broker-dealers to keep up with compliance. It's not to say that people shouldn't become broker-dealers. There's still a ton of them out there today. But if you're just like one person or a small team of people who only wants to just do this one-off, I would really reconsider getting into the business because you really need to have a full-on chief compliance officer. You really should have active legal counsel there. 
it's engaging in the stuff that Wall Street engages in. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not equipped to do that, you just need to make sure you're not inadvertently going to do something that's going to get you in trouble. So basically, the 99.99% of everyone listening would not want to become a broker-dealer, I'm guessing. So now, how do we get some form of payment while helping people raise capital without being a broker-dealer? Perfect. Okay, so there's a couple of methods that I see pretty commonly. And again, whatever you do, if you're going to go down this road, just do me a favor and check with an attorney first. Are you someone they can check with? I can refer them to people okay. that they can check with. Yeah. Got it. So one of the things you might want to consider is if you look at the definition of broker-dealer, it's someone who's engaged in selling securities for other people. So the question is, well, what if you are not selling it for others? What if you're selling it for yourself, the issuer, right? What if you, Joe Fairless, who wants to help people raise money, what if you become a member of the manager, if this is an LLC scenario, or if you become part of the general partner. If you become part of the issuer, and what that means is you're not just raising money, you need to be doing other things that are a little bit more day-to-day. But if you are part of the manager or the GP or whatever it is, who's the active sponsor, then suddenly you're not selling securities for others, you're selling securities for yourself. And so issuers are allowed to sell securities for themselves generally. And so what I'll see a lot of my clients do is maybe they're a team of two real estate syndicators, they're working on multifamily, and hey, this guy happens to know a lot of people who love to invest in student housing and he's a student housing expert. So they'll team up with him on that particular project. They'll give him a piece of the manager or whatever it might be. So he's a part owner. He's part of the issuer. Maybe the guy helps them set up their bank accounts. Maybe he advises them on what strategies they should do for student housing or any other area. Maybe he can contribute. Maybe he's helping out with property management or helping with the monthly distribution. Something that's not purely just the raising of capital. Mm-hmm. If he is involved actively in some of the day-to-day and he's raising capital, suddenly we're not raising money for other people. We're raising money for ourselves. That's okay. Now, what if the agreement is that he will be on the GP side and he'll advise on things and bring capital, but what if he doesn't bring any capital? Is there any recourse for them to say, ah, actually, I don't know. I don't think you should be on the GP side now. You didn't pull your weight? Usually when I see this happening, it ends up being a very fluid process. I think this comes down to a negotiation between those parties of what role this person is going to play. You shouldn't really have it that black and white where, oh, you didn't bring in money, you don't get to be part of it. You really shouldn't. You should have them doing a little bit more than that, at the very least, adding value or contributing in some way. I won't say that I haven't seen it, but then I would say you're skirting a bit closer to the line. Law is, I think, not a black and white thing. It's a gray spectrum. And so there are things that you can do that are closer to the edge and things that are closer to safety. 
So that's number one, making yourself actually part of the company. So you're not raising money for other people. The second thing is very closely related where, for example, let's say hypothetically, you're structuring a syndication, you have, let's say, two classes of ownership interest. You've got class A, which is your investors, and class B, which goes to yourself, the manager, or whatever it might be. Same concept, except that this time, instead of them being a part of the manager, they're not actually part of the owner or the issuer anymore. They are a separate entity. You are giving them some of the class B shares, even though they're not actually part of mm-hmm. management. But the interesting thing here is if we revisit the definition of a broker dealer, they're looking at transaction based compensation. If you give a guy, I don't know, maybe 5% of whatever the class B interest is, if you make it not transaction based compensation, so maybe he gets 5% percent regardless of whether he brings in a million dollars or a hundred thousand. That starts looking a lot less like being a broker dealer. And then again, just as with the last example, even though they're not part of the management, it would be nice if they could provide some sort of additional service. Maybe it's them personally guaranteeing the loan. So even if they're not bringing capital, they're helping you get capital from the bank because They've signed the loan documents. Now, if we're getting into more creative strategies other than that, you could charge a finder's fee, but when you charge a finder's fee, you have to be careful about how you charge it. And remember, we don't ever want to tie the compensation to the amount of money raised. So I see sometimes people are charging finder's fee but it's a flat fee. It's not based on how much ends up actually converting into an investment. And remember one of the things I talked about earlier about soliciting investors. So when we're soliciting investors, what we don't want to do is to pre-screen or to recommend an investment or of anything of the sort. But if it's a mere, let's say, email introduction, to someone who's just interested in learning about multifamily apartments generally, and the person happens to know that this guy also happens to be interested in investing in real estate, that on its face is okay. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want to be saying, hey, Joe has this amazing 100-unit apartment that right. he's raising $5 million for now. You should take a look at this. We don't want to say that, but we're just doing soft introductions. Mm-hmm. And then the last method that I see a lot, and again, we're not tying this to the amount of money raised, is people who basically negotiate with the issuer to become their consultant. And so they'll sign a consultant agreement. The consultant has to do a number of things. One of them could be going out and helping trying to raise capital or make those introductions. But it has to be that this consulting agreement is not merely for raising money. What we're paying the consultant is not based on how much capital this person brings in. And as is the general theme here, they should have some sort of other job too. Again, Mm -hmm. whether that's, I don't know, 
if they're a CPA, maybe they're the chosen auditor of the books or something like that. But it really shouldn't just be the raising of capital. Could could so, that could that job be emailing their investors that they brought into the deal every month about the status of the project? It could be, yeah, investor relations. And so the latter two strategies that I talked about, the finder fee, consultant fee, that usually is more so like cash payment upfront or something like that. Whereas the first two ones I talked about, it's usually not monetary compensation upfront, but rather it ends up being that they get paid on the back end let's say it's a multifamily syndication with a five to seven year life or timeline. So when the property is disposed of in five to seven years and they're selling it and paying back their investors or honestly, even during operations, they have rental income. That's when the person is getting paid and they get paid just as the the manager or the, the GP gets paid. So it's not cash up front, it's cash later down the line. On option number two, give a class B interest, assuming there's class A, class B, or GP, general partner, LP. Will you explain that for me one more time? Basically, I would say maybe about, I would actually say a majority of the clients that I used to work with, whenever they did a syndication, if it's a smaller syndication and they're not a huge shop, they'll choose a two LLC structure where one LLC holds that and one LLC is the manager. And the manager usually gets all the class B units. So let's say in the actual LLC that holds the asset, let's say 70% of the LLC is owned by investor members as class A units and the other 30% is owned by basically the manager or affiliates of the manager or whoever's helping out a little bit more on the management side. Of that 30%, sometimes I see people saying, okay, so of the manager's 30%, we'll take 28% of it and 2% we're going to allocate to this individual for helping us on these specific things. Basically, option A and B are very similar, except that in the former, they actually become part of the sponsor. And in the latter, they're a little bit more removed, but Mm -hmm. are still doing things that add value. This is crystal clear, and I'm incredibly grateful. And I know a lot of the listeners are as well, because now every time I get this question, I'm going to give them a link to this interview. I have a feeling this is going to be a popular one. Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to the subject of how can we become compensated for helping people raise capital without becoming a broker-dealer? You know, what I'm about to say is a little bit more obscure, but lately I've actually been getting a relatively more frequent number of calls of people asking about angel list is structured. So angel list is basically a tech startup. It's like a futuristic venture capital firm. They are not a broker dealer. I actually don't even think they're a registered investment advisor today, but they make a lot of money 
off of helping startups get fundraising. And their founder, he's invested in companies like Uber and all sorts of big unicorn startups. So the way they're structured is really interesting. They do not make any money on the front end. What they do is they make it on the back end. They use syndicates to basically fundraise. So angel investors in their networks who see a lot of deals every day will basically bring a deal to AngelList and say, hey, I want to invest in this deal. And on AngelList, I have a lot of backers who every time I invest a certain amount of money, they will back my investment. So it kind of investment snowballs. And it kind of helps them diversify a little bit. What the angel syndicate gets is a carry. So he gets a portion of what the end return is for the investors. For his services, he manages the investors. So he manages the relationship between himself and the startup and then communicates what's going on to the crowd of investors. AngelList also takes a carry, which means they get paid on the back end. I think it's like 15 or 20%. I don't know what the number is anymore. But starting to hear a lot of people who are trying to or thinking about adopting this model in real estate, because I guess a lot of investors only know how to invest in multifamily, but they might not know how to invest in hotels or something like that. So that's really interesting. And it's another way that people are looking at to be able to help people raise capital based off of their networks or someone else's network without having to themselves become a broker dealer. You're going to laugh. But can you repeat that, but dumb it down for me, exactly what you just said? <laughs> okay. So basically, if people want to, for example, Google the SEC no action letter, that basically is another way for people to be able to utilize their network, get paid something off of the transaction without being a broker-dealer. It is a little bit more complex. It is for someone who is specifically interested in making this their day-to-day job, but it's something I think worth looking at. Mm -hmm. There's the takeaway. So we will Google AngelList SEC no action letter. And for anyone who wants to dig in deep, then that's the starting place, right? Yeah. Sweet. All right, Amy, anything else that we haven't mentioned that you think it's relevant to bring up on this topic? Nothing other than before you do anything, go run it by your attorney. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How or where should the best ever listeners go to get in touch with you and learn more about Bootstrap Legal? They can go to my website. It's bootstraplegal.com. And they can always feel free to contact me personally. My email is amy, A-M-Y, at bootstraplegal.com. Or they can find me on LinkedIn. Amy, this has been such a practical exercise and interview for all of the best ever listeners who are focused on bringing in more capital into their deals or partnering with other people to do deals. The question is, how can we get some form of payment or compensation while helping people raise capital without being a broker-dealer? You gave us four options. One, become the issuer, so basically be on the general partnership side. There's a lot of disclaimers in between all of these, and I won't say them all. There's a transcription of this episode, fortunately. Two is to give Class B interest. 
Three is to charge a finder's fee, but make sure, I will mention this disclaimer, make sure not to tie the compensation to the money raised. And four is you can negotiate with the issuer to be a consultant. And again, make sure that there is not a transaction or amount raised tied to this compensation. And overall, if you are on the general partnership side and you're getting compensated, make sure that you do have additional responsibilities albeit it could be as simple as sending out a monthly email to investors, so investor relations with deals. Did I summarize that? I know I didn't say all the disclaimers, but is that basically the gist of it? That's it. Okay. Amy, thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a... Did I mention this is Situation Saturday? I don't know if I did. Hope you have a best ever Saturday and we'll talk to you soon. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.